0: Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you because it brings life. Thank you because it lifts burdens. Thank you because it breaks yokes. Thank you because it it sharpens vision. Thank you because it drives darkness away. And Thank you because it empowers, strengthens us for the journey that is ahead and does much more, Heavenly Father. Lord, please bless the speaking of your word. Bless the listening of your word. And let it bring transformation and change in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. We are on a journey into God's promises. Um, we, uh, for the last two weeks, we arrived at um, the point where the children of Israel built a golden calf uh, which they worshipped and which brought God's wrath, uh, was going to bring God's wrath upon them until Moses appealed and petitioned God, and God relented. Um, And today as we wrap up that stage on our journey, um, we're going to be talking today, if you want a title for today's message, um, the title Fake Gods would be the title for today's message, Fake Gods. Now, one thing that the Bible makes clear is that God abhors idolatry. God detests, dislikes idolatry. Idolatry, the worship uh, of other gods. It's very clear that God does not like idolatry at all. Um, The first commandment makes that clear. First commandment... Exodus 20 verse three, "You shall have no other gods before me." Um, God is very clear. The second commandment drives home the point. Exodus tw- the 20th chapter, verses four to six. "You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. It's interesting that if you look at that scripture, it equates the worship of other gods with a a hatred for God. Um, and the serving of God and the loving of God, um, it, it, it equates mercy with those who are serving and who are loving God. And, and, and it is clear that God does not like idolatry of any kind. You know, in, um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and the 7th verse, the Bible says, And do not become idolaters as where some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to, to play. Uh, the New Testament is referring to what happened, what, 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 what we've been studying for the last two weeks. The, 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 the worship of the golden calf. Don't become idolaters like some of them did, is the caution from God himself in the New Testament. But what exactly is an idol? Who are these fake gods? Well, in his book, Uh, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller has this description which I want to adopt. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give you What only God can give you. What's an idol? An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. Anything, I I go on to add, anything that really controls your life and drives your life. Now, when we read this account, the story in Exodus, the 32nd chapter, where the children of Israel uh, are engaged in the worship of this, this golden calf, it's very easy for us to look at them and think, how on earth can you do that? How did a people who had seen God had dramatic encounters with him, experienced his deliverance, seen his power demonstrated. When you think about it, how did a people who a short while ago had witnessed the power of God demonstrated in Egypt as plague after plague, eventually ending with the tenth plague, the final plague, where all the firstborn in the land, from Pharaoh to the least in the land, died. They witnessed God's power. They saw favor that God, the favor that God put on them. How they went by the instruction of God to their, those who had held them in subjugation, the, pe- the people in Egypt, and as if in a trance, as if mesmerized, They gave them, as they were living, their most precious possessions, gold and silver and trinkets. The children of Israel had experienced that favor of God. They had experienced the the mighty deliverance of God at the Red Sea. Right in front of their eyes, that sea had parted and they had walked through on dry ground. They had seen before they walked through the miracle of the pillar of fire relocating from in front of them and going behind them so that it was light to them and darkness to their enemies, the children of Israel, who were about to descend upon them. They had experienced that. They They had seen with their own eyes the presence of God on the mountain They had heard the thunder. They had seen the lightning flashes. They had heard the sounds of the trumpet. They heard them with their senses. They had seen the mountains smoking and quaking. And then they had heard God's voice as God spoke out of the mountain. They had experienced the miracle of manna and quail. How they were Fed miraculously by God, finding food without any effort, the miracle of it. They had witnessed the awesome miracle of water coming from a rock when they were thirsty. They had seen God fight on their behalf. How could they have experienced all these things? And then simply because for around about six weeks, Moses who had told them he was going to God, hadn't come back. Going to be with God hadn't come back. Out of their impatience, they had demanded that a God that they could see be made for them. And they would worship that God as the God who delivered them from Israel. And that God would lead them into the promised land. And as a result of their pressure on Aaron, who as we found out was weak in terms of his leadership ability, Aaron buckled and molded a calf, a golden calf for them. And they worshipped that calf, built an altar before it. How did they arrive at this place? And you know, it's very easy to look down on them. It's very easy to shake your head and mutter. And in a sense, try try and imagine, how could anybody have reached this place? But before we do that, Let's look at how they could have, because you will find out that if we are not careful, we could find ourselves in the same place. We could have experienced God, had his, seen his deliverance, experienced his power, seen his miracles work in our lives, and every single one of us has. And if we are not careful, we could find ourselves sliding towards that line that we can cross over and start to worship fake gods. How did they get there? Well, number one, the human memory, their memory, like like the human memory is, was notoriously short. And in a sense, that's how we are. We forget. When we are faced with new circumstances, we forget. We forget God's favor in the past. We forget how God delivered us. We forget how God turned it around. We forget how God protected us. We forget how God sustained us. We forget how all hope was lost until God intervened and came into the circumstances. We tend to forget very quickly. That's why the encouragement today is to ask that we intentionally make sure we don't forget. We tell the stories. We share the testimony. We talk about God's goodness, God's faithfulness. We gather ourselves in families and we remind ourselves as to what God has done in the past because the human memory is notoriously short. We sit down with friends and we spend time looking back and remembering what God has done because if the children of Israel had just sat sat down or or spent some time to look back, I assure you they would not have made that golden calf because they would have remembered some of the things that I have shared with you that they experienced themselves. So number one, the human memory is notoriously short. Number two, they were impatient. And really that's one of the things that trips us up where we are not ready to wait for God, where we, are, we, we feel that it has to happen now, immediately, at once. And you know, the way of God is that a lot of times His ways are not our ways, and quite frequently His ways seem longer and we seem to know a shorter way. But then invariably, if we go the shorter way that is our way, we always end up regretting it. With God, one virtue we have to have is patience. We've got to trust God's timing. Hold on to God until He brings it to pass. A lot of the people we admire in the Bible, one virtue that we overlook with them is that virtue of patience that waiting on the Lord, believing in the Lord, that following God, even if the route seems a longer route. And you know, I want to say to you that everybody's path is different. Some might seem to get there quicker. That's their journey. It might seem like it's taking longer for you, but trust god he knows exactly what he is doing so for them they were just impatient where is this man moses who who brought us out of this out of egypt we don't know what has become of him please let's get on with the business of moving on and we see the result of their impatience number 3 they wanted to conform the pressure to be like the others. The pressure to be like the Joneses, we say. They wanted to conform. Every tribe and nation around them had a God that they could see. A God that was made by hands. They were the only ones that had this God that you couldn't see And so to be like all the nations, they decided, we also want a God that is like their gods. Can you beat that? They had Jehovah as their God, but they would rather conform to what was happening around them. And I am certain that there were some in the camp, some who were part of that nation, who knew that what they were doing was not right. But the pressure to conform must have made them hold their tongues rather than rise up and say, No, this is wrong. And that is what we deal with the pressure to conform. They say, If good men are quiet, keep silent, then evil will thrive. And the evil of idolatry thrived because good men and I'm certain they were good men and women, were silent. They just wanted to conform. The pressure to be like the others. And fourthly, number four, they wanted a God that they could see. They wanted to be led by their senses. This concept of a God that is a spirit, that we have to walk with by faith, by trusting him, by obeying his word. It was a concept that they just didn't want. It was easier to move by their senses. Give us something that we can see, we can feel. And that is always the bane of a person's journey as a Christian, where we don't learn to walk by faith where we want to walk by sight where we want to walk by our senses rather than walk by the spirit you know when jesus had that encounter with the woman at the well he told her clearly that this is this is who god is you know he's a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth but they wanted a God they could see. And when that bull, that, that calf was made, the golden calf, uh, they then thought, this is what we want. We can see with our eyes the God that brought us out of Egypt. Number five, they wanted to physically enjoy the worship. It was about the physical, about their physical bodies and about their souls. And that's the challenge. When we want to reduce the worship of God to the physical, the body and the soul, and we negate the spiritual. So of course they wanted to satisfy the cravings of their flesh. They wanted to dance in a way that was not godly. They wanted to, to eat which they did and then they wanted to engage in what the bible calls rising up to play which really was all the sensual expressions that led to sexual expressions they wanted to satisfy the lusts of the flesh their bodies they wanted to satisfy them they didn't want to engage with a god with god with their spirits no and you know sadly we find a lot of that today where, where the focus is on the physical and the soul. It's on entertainment as worship. It's not on spiritual worship. It's on, on physical expressions of worship. And of course we're encouraged to dance uh, and, and, and express ourselves. But it, it must be by the Spirit of God. Some of what you see is really so carnal and so fleshly. It's attention-seeking. It has nothing to do with the worship of God. Frankly, it is the worship of the person who is expressing what they, what they want us to believe is worship. But it is counterfeit worship. It is false fire because it is really about the person and not about God. They wanted to express themselves in that manner, satisfy the cravings of their Flesh. And you know there are three things that can help us determine whether we are sliding into idolatry or into the worship of fake gods. Three things. These are three tests that cannot fail. Number one, money. What do I spend my money on? Am I spending more on these things than I am on the things of God? That's a question that determines where a person is. Where does my money go? Where do I invest my money in? What do I spend my money on? And if I looked at how I am spending my money, can I see that... I'm spending more money on all these things than I am on things that, are, that have to do with the advance of the kingdom of God and have to do with God's heart. That's number one question. Check your money. Your money will tell you who your gods are or who your God is, I hope. Number two, time. Time. What do I devote my time to? Am I giving more time to these things, whatever they are, than I am, or whoever they are, because sometimes they they are people, than I am to God? That's the second question. What do I devote my time to? Am I giving more of my time to these things or these people than I am to God? The third thing is my mind. Am I thinking more about it than I am thinking of God? Does it occupy more mind space in me than God does? Invariably, if you apply these three tests, you can know whether you are truly worshipping Jehovah or whether you are sliding towards the worship of fake gods or, or sliding into some form of idolatry. And you know the thing with fake gods is that they will always disappoint you. They will fail. It is a guarantee. They will lead to troubles They will lead to destruction. It is a guarantee. It is a matter of time that fake gods will always let you down. They won't just let you down, they will lead to destruction and troubles. How could a golden calf have met their needs? How could a golden calf have made provision for them, protected them, guided them? It really was foolishness. But then the God of this world had blinded their eyes, had confused their thinking, and allowed them to believe that somehow this golden calf can fill the vacuum in each human being that can only be filled by God. And that's what the enemy does. He leads us to think that this fake God can satisfy, or this fake God can satisfy. There is a hollow in every single human being that cannot be satisfied by any fake gods. It can only be satisfied by Jehovah, by his son Jesus Christ. Fake gods, will always disappoint. The Bible says, the psalmist says in Psalm 16, verse 4, I love the first part of that scripture. He says, Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. It's just a matter of time. It is going to lead to disappointment, frustrations, troubles, and destructions the worship of fake gods. Now some might then say to themselves, but I don't really worship fake gods. I'm not bowing down to a golden calf. I'm not in some, uh, uh, so I'm not worshiping some stone or a bird or, or I, I don't have any idols that I, that I worship. Well, let me tell you some 21st century fake gods. And you might be surprised that inadvertently you might have started sliding towards one of them. And this message might be God bringing a a word of caution to you and to me. As he says to us, beware of fake gods some 21st century fake gods number 1 money materialism now is a religion consumerism is a religion it is obvious that it is people worship money for what money can get for them so that so much so that money is enthroned in, 20, in the 21st century world as it has been for a while, as a God. And it's instructive that Jesus himself cautioned against the worship of this God. Now remember, our definition of a God is anything that is more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. So if we find ourselves at a place where our heart and our imagination is absorbed by the pursuit of money, if we find ourselves at a place where we are looking to get from money what only God can give us, Some sort of satisfaction and fulfillment and the meaning of life and an identity. Only God can give that. Money doesn't give that. then we have started down the slippery slope that eventually leads to the worship of the God of money. And this is the way that Jesus put it. Matthew the 6th chapter and the 24th verse. How could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. Number one, money. Number two, self. The worship of self. This is the philosophy that undergirds the New Age, the whole New Age religion. That we are gods. We don't need Jehovah. We are totally independent of him. That's, 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 that's what undergirds that whole New Age philosophy. It's the antithesis to the worship and submission to God that we 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 must be independent. We are gods ourselves. And you see it as it as it as it spawns its children. The whole industry around plastic surgery is based on this this on this. Worship of self, where people uh, will pay any price, will do anything to themselves, subject themselves to anything in the pursuit of this perfect body. They will will go through danger uh, and, and risk and sometimes sadly even lose their lives in the pursuit of the glorification of self. And it's very easy, if you're not careful, you could slide into that. Because you see, the worship of false gods is not that the things in themselves are bad. It is that the enemy makes them bad by by affecting our attitude to them. So there's nothing wrong with money. We need money to survive. But then the Bible says it is the love of it that elevates it to the place of a fake god. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the same with self. There's a responsibility to look after ourselves, to be responsible with this temple. But where that responsibility crosses a line and we begin to worship ourselves, worship our bodies, then we have crossed the line. It's no longer just... Looking after our bodies for being responsible and being responsible. We have started to worship our bodies. And it is so easy to cross that line where you start to worship yourself. You worship your intellect. You worship your body. You spend hours, you know, honing your body. Not because you want to be responsible and you have a responsibility to to eat right and exercise. But now it's gone beyond that. It's now an obsession with how you look, then you have become a, a, a God. Number one, Number two, self. Number three, in this, in this age, definitely number three for me would be your phones. You know, for a lot of us, our phones have become gods. They control our lives. We can't do without them. They give meaning to our lives. The things that we can access through these phones, social media, That's that's where we get our our validation. The likes we have tell us who we are. We get our identity from this phone. Some people would definitely go into cold turkey if we took their phones from them. People sleep at night. The last person they speak to is the fake God. They wake up in the morning. They reach out for it. it's not that they're reaching out for it so that they can check for a scripture. Or so that they can, you know, join the minutes of prayer in the prayer shield. I hope that will be the case after today. Or they can um, um, join this wonderful app called Glorify that a friend of mine, um, Ken Costa and his son, uh, are involved in. And they've introduced me to it. A wonderful app called Glorify. Please make sure you download it. Where, you know, that, 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 that helps us in our worship of God. It's not that it's any of that, but they are reaching out for the phone so that they can access social media, uh, access Instagram, a- a- access Snapchat. and Nothing wrong with those things, but where it becomes an obsession, then the phone has become a god. One of the ways you will know whether your phone is a god is you should ha- you should, each person should have phone holidays, hours or days where you switch off your phone. Just so that you know it has not become an obsession. Number four, entertainment. Again, with all these things, nothing wrong with them. Because there's nothing wrong with relaxing, chilling, chillaxing, whatever term we call it. Watching a good movie. You know, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being entertained. But where it becomes an obsession, where it becomes like a drug where it controls your life, absorbs your, your mind and your imagination, has more mind space than God, then it has become a God. Where you can spend nights playing Xbox, Nintendo, whatever it is that you're playing, but you can't remember a night where you spend two or three hours worshipping God, But if we put the hours that you've spent in entertainment, watching Netflix, it would amount to a thousand plus hours. And if we put the minutes that you've spent with God, we will not be able to get an hour or two. It tells me that something has become a God and has taken God's place. So nothing wrong with any of these things. But where they control our lives, become an obsession, we can't do without them. They are driving our lives. They are occupying our mind space. We are spending more money on them. We are devoted to them. Then those things have become God. Number five, clothes and accessories. And nothing wrong with good clothes. Absolutely nothing. We expect you to look good. We encourage you to be decent, well turned out. But then when those things become an obsession, when we are driven to amazing lengths to acquire the resources just to put a designer label on us, when we will lie and cheat and and become cutthroat and, and we will burn ourselves out just so that we can wear a label, when our identity comes from the label and not from who we are in Christ, then the label has become a god. And those gods are fake gods. They are, they, are, they, are the, they are the worst, in fact, in terms of being fake. And the pandemic has proven that. Because all those gods were relegated into obscurity as we were all locked down in our homes. They, they were powerless, completely um, to do anything. So when we, when we get our identity from those things, those things have become fake gods. Number six, food. There, there's, there's a group of people, Ep- Epicureans they are called. Uh, they, their philosophy comes from a Greek philosopher called Epicurus, And these are people who have devoted their life to sensual pleasure from food and wine. When food, our bellies become our gods. Where we we we, 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 we our minds are occupied constantly. Nothing wrong with good food. I like good food. Uh, I like cooking. But you see, the, the, the balance for me is that I also try to make sure I live a fasted life. That's the way that I make sure that food cannot become a fake God to me. The Bible says in Philippians, the third chapter, verses 17 to 19. Actually, let's look at verse 19. It says, Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. It it, it says there are people who make their bellies their gods. At this point in time, food has become a fake god to them. And number seven, as we come to a close, sex. In this day and age, sex is a god. It's everywhere. Everything is sold with some degree of sexual innuendo. In every, literally everything now that exists, there's something to do with sex that is being sold to us. Whether they are music videos or or movies, it's all being sold to us. This God is trying to enslave our minds. And you see the outworking of that when sadly you see people who are caught in some sexual addiction. They can't help themselves. Constantly sliding into this pit and this mess. Sometimes hating themselves, but unable to help themselves. You see this God in full flow when you see people try to destroy all the ga- godly boundaries around this whole issue of sex which we seem to forget was god's creation and that it's not the creation of any of all these so-called experts but it was god's creation and he has his boundaries when we see people flout those boundaries and and want to push the boat as far as they can we know that this god of sex is ruling and reigning in certain lives, in certain quarters. It's a fake God because the truth is that it never satisfies. Just look at the people who have broken hearts as a result, the people who have been lied to, the people who, 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 who have been wounded as a result, the amount of people who are, who are dealing with rejection as a result pain as a result. This God will only lead to destruction because it's a fake God. It can't fill the hollow in us. You just need to ask Solomon. He, He really tried to see whether this God could fill the hollow and his conclusion at the end was that it is empty, it is vanity, it is futility. So the encouragement for us is that let's be careful. Let's make sure that we give the most space to Jehovah. That we devote the most time to him. That our resources that he has blessed us with, we devote to him. One of the things that must have angered him about Solomon was he blessed Solomon with so much in terms of material resources. Solomon for a while used them to worship him. But then as he started to fall off the wagon, he started, to, he started to divert what God had blessed him with to the building of temples to all these other fake gods. Let's make sure that we don't, we don't slide down that slippery slope. You know, as I end, the Bible says in Jonah, the second chapter and the eighth verse, those who worship false gods Turn their backs on all God's mercies. You know, to worship any of these gods is really to turn our backs on all God's mercies. That's what the children of Israel did. They turned their back on a God who delivered them, a God who protected them, a God who granted them favor, a God who, who, who showed them some amazing miracles. They turned their back by the worship of that golden calf on the mercies of God. When we allow any of these things or any of the other things that I haven't mentioned to f- contend with God for space in our hearts and in our lives, we are really turning our backs on the mercies of God. And you know, when I think about the ultimate mercy of God, as far as I am concerned, the the ultimate show of mercy that God, God the ultimate mercy that God has shown me, his ultimate show of mercy to humanity has to be the fact that he saved us. He saved us from being slaves to sin here on earth. And he saved us from an eternity in hell. That is an an amazing act of mercy. That his son died on the cross for you and I. Died that we might be reconciled to him. When we think about that, mercy of God, it surely must propel us away from fake gods and deeper into worship with God and intimacy with God. And on that note, I would love to say a prayer now as I end for anyone who doesn't have a relationship with God. You haven't received this mercy that I, that I have just spoken about, this grace that is available, unmerited favor. You haven't received this, this, this awesome act of mercy that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Well, you want to do so, I would be privileged to pray for you, with you, as you open up your heart and receive this great act of mercy. And as you do so, you really are saying to God, this is the start of my worship of you as I turn my back on all these other fake gods. And if you would love to do that wherever you are, would you say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the act of mercy. That was your son Jesus dying on the cross for me. I receive him now into my life. And as I do so, I make a commitment to turn away from any fake gods as I give myself completely to the worship of the only true God and that is who you are. I receive your Son, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior today. I declare that by this prayer, I now know that I am a child of yours. You are my Father. I am born today into your family, born again. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.